Well, Lakeview, it's really good to be here. It is, uh, it's an honor to be included in your 75th year anniversary. And uh, I just commend you for celebrating. And I think the idea of uh, taking a period of time to do that is really a cool idea. So you, it just wasn't one big weekend and then it's gone. You're, you're being reminded of different things through the year. Um, some people say that I'm a an historical person, and I think it's because I'm so old, but um, I do love history. Uh, history makes so much sense to me about context in the Bible of what was going on at a certain period of time. It makes so much sense about what's going on today, and uh, we can learn a lot uh, from history. Um, thinking back, I just I remember my, my first trip to Stoughton, Wisconsin. I, we were in the Des Moines, Iowa area, and we drove up in, on January 8th, 1986 for our first introduction to the people of Calvary Evangelical Free Church. Um, we were here from Wednesday until Sunday night. Uh, every minute was pretty much packed. We, we didn't have much free time. And uh, just the Sunday, the, the final Sunday was... Um, I taught the adult Sunday school hour. They got everybody in the sanctuary auditorium, and I taught that hour. Then the next hour I preached, and then I did lunch with some family, and then we came back to the church, and it was kind of like an all-afternoon congregational meeting, and uh, I got to present, and then I, they got to ask me every personal question that I ever had. And then, um, let's see, what was next? After that, oh, I had evening service and preached evening service, and then um, we were free to go. <laughs> it was a, we're, we're glad that God brought us here. Uh, we loved being here in Stoughton. We loved uh, Lakeview. Um, when we came, it was a hard group, and, uh, you know, I was just a kid. I was 36 the day I walked in the door, and uh, they thought I was pretty wet behind the ears, but they were patient, and uh, I'm grateful for that patience. I do like history. And looking back in history sometimes leads to important lessons for us today. Now, I want, to, want you to, I'm going to start with some history. I want you to consider uh, the story of Harvard University. Heard of that one? Harvard University? It was founded in 1636. Now, think about the mission statement of Harvard University in 1636. It's pretty cool. Here it goes. This is for the student, the way it read for the student. To be plainly instructed and consider, the, consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That's pretty impressive. That's why they were founded. They were founded to train young pastors to be able to proclaim the word of God. And they had a great reputation. Those pastors, uh, they, they went out from Harvard University into the West. They just moved westward as the country expanded. And they took their Hebrew, uh, manuscript, their Hebrew uh, Bible of the Old Testament and their Greek Bible of the New Testament in their saddlebags, and they showed up in towns. 
And they got hired as school teachers and preachers on Sunday. And they proclaimed the Word of God. And there was a lot of good churches uh, in the early days as during that time of expansion. But Harvard did not stay on there. Oh, by the way, one more thing here. Um, every student who graduated from Harvard had an inscription on their diploma, and it said, Truth for Christ and His Church. That's why they were why they were in school that's why they were graduating that's why they were trained but Harvard did not stay on their original course and after 80 years a group of pastors some of those who had been trained at Harvard went to a man named Elihu Yale a wealthy man and they invited him to support financially a new idea of starting a new school and so together they founded Yale University to train pastors to proclaim the Word of God. And so they had a slogan, and they wanted to add just one word. Yale's motto was, Light and Truth for Christ and His Church. If you know the story, as time passed, Yale, too, lost its solid foundation. And today both schools are very far from their original beginnings. Mission drift is very real and nobody expects it to happen. Um, if you know the story of, I told you I liked history, if you know the story of denominations in America, nearly all of the denominations in the beginning had a high view of the Word of God. They believed the Bible was true. And, you know, they didn't always agree on everything, but there was a lot of things they did agree on. Who Jesus is. And, um, but over time, churches, denominations drifted, churches drifted. And so what happens is when a denomination drifts away, oftentimes there's a new group they want to hold to the same values that the former denomination did, but they want to hold to the Word of God, and they're not going to slide away from it. And so now, you have, instead of one denomination, you have two. And over a long period of time, those two go to four and then go to eight. And that happened to churches, too. They started out with the Word of God, but over time, something happened, and they begin to change their perspective. And it explains for a lot of splinter church plants in America. So I know that nobody expects that to happen to Lakeview Church. I don't expect it to happen to Lakeview Church. But historically, over time, history is going to work against nearly everybody. I just planted a church in Eau Claire called the Bridge Church. And boy, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to depart. But over time, history says something's going to happen with people. I don't know, but there aren't a lot of, you don't find a lot of churches that have been around hundreds of years that are still solid on the Word of God. So I have four reminders today I just want to give to you. Uh, there are things that you already know. None of this is new, so um, maybe I'm just going to be too simplistic, but let me remind you of four things. First of all, I want to remind you to stay on mission. 
Stay on mission. You all have a mission. We all have a mission. And frankly, I think it's pretty much the same mission. There's a lot of ways to talk about it, a lot of ways to say the words. There's a lot of emphasis of the mission. But um, I think there's pretty much one way, at least one passage I'm going to look at. Um, Kirby John Caldwell, who is a pastor, I heard him speak, say these words at a pastor's conference. He said, there are two great moments in a person's life. The moment you were born, I don't remember that one, and the moment you realize why you were born. I do remember that one. I remember because I was 25 years old. I'd been an atheist, and I came to faith when I was 25. And I thought I was in the world to be happy and to get what I want, to find my way, to find my life. And when I became a follower of Jesus, I realized he has something else. He has something bigger, something better, something that I never thought about before. And so uh, the passage I'm going to look at for our mission is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And uh, I know that Pastor Andy preached on this uh, recently, and I just want to review a couple of things from it. Uh, Matthew 28, these are Jesus's, uh, this is after his resurrection, so it's very late in his ministry. Um, before he ascends into heaven and he's with his disciples and he gives these words. He says, therefore, because all authority is given to him, verse 18, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey something, quite a bit, as much as you can teaching them to obey everything, sometimes called the great omission because it gets left out. I mean, we don't, we don't leave it out when we read it. We just leave it out when we live it. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely, here's the promise, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Question, what if you don't do those things? What about the promise? Are there churches today that Jesus has departed from because they no longer have a high view of the Word of God? Because they're no longer really making disciples with the gospel of Christ? So, Matthew 28, there are, there's one main verb, and the main verb here is to make disciples. That's, that's one word in, in Greek, main verb. All the other verbal forms are participles and they modify the main verb. So go, make disciples. Go as you go, when you go, since you are going. It carries the force of a verb, go. Make disciples of all nations, go into all the world. When you make a disciple, when you lead them to Christ, when they understand the gospel message, one of the things that you need to do is you need to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's Christian baptism. Uh, it separates other baptisms. And the meaning of it is different than any other kind of baptism. But it's something for someone who becomes a Christ follower. I was baptized as an infant. My parents belonged to a church that taught them that I needed to be baptized. Or if something happened to me, I just might go to hell. And, of course, they were good parents. They didn't want that to happen. 
And so I was baptized as an infant. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't know about it. I, there is a piece of paper. But when I became a follower of Jesus in 1974, I got baptized right away because I wanted to follow Jesus. Got baptized as a believer. And, you know, you got a baptism coming up. I think it's just awesome. This, I, I think it's awesome when this, this place up here gets used. This, uh, my son called it the pastor's bathtub. <laughs> I, you know, that's what it's for. It's to identify publicly as a Christ follower. And I, some of you are still thinking about it. I just want to encourage you. Find out more. Take that step. You can go to a class and you can decide, well, maybe not. I don't want to do this. Uh, one of the reasons baptism is so complicated because there are so many churches and so many views and it just takes a while sometimes to process. What is this? What does it mean? Should I do this? I understand that. That's our culture. In the early church, they didn't have any of that. The apostles said, you need to be baptized. Okay, how do I do that? Will you come here? We're going to do this. And they just, they just baptized. And there wasn't any questions how we're going to do it. Everybody knew how they were going to do it. Just watch Paul or watch Peter. And so, please, uh, if that's something you're thinking about, take that step. And then uh, that last part, teaching them to obey everything. Um, the way we described it uh, at uh, the Bridge Church where I just retired from is uh, we want to help people connect with God, and develop them into fully devoted followers of Jesus. And uh, that's to help. Uh, we were, a, Eau Claire is a strong medical community, and, the, and the, we use the language helping community. And so we wanted to help uh, people connect with God, to bring them into a relationship, to have that spiritual connection when they're born again, connected with God. And then help them to grow, help develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Not just good Christians, but fully devoted followers of Christ. And I say that because when I came to faith uh, back in the day, I was anxious to grow and to understand and to learn. And so I did. I just learned as fast as possible. I just graduated from college, so I knew about study. I knew about reading. And I just read and I asked questions and I studied. And uh, I learned a lot really quick. I didn't know all the Christian lingo, but my wife did. I learned a ton of stuff from her as a brand new follower of Christ. And I learned as I got together in church with other Christians, there were a lot of young couples about our age, and they were good Christians. And they, they, uh, they knew the Bible, they read the Bible, they memorized some scripture, they, you know, they didn't swear, they didn't, you know, they didn't do, they didn't, they didn't drink. And they were good Christians. And, and we got into that social group, and we really enjoyed it, and we loved them, and they're still friends today. But one of the things that happened, I'm not saying this is the way it continued, but one of the things that happened that I realized is there's got to be more than this. This isn't all that Jesus wants us to do is to be good Christians. And it's, it's that last part there, teaching them to obey everything. Why doesn't everybody want that? To obey. Full devotion to Christ. 
And sometimes we just need to raise the bar for our own lives about devotion to Christ. So, um, stay on mission. To stay on mission, we need to be clear about the gospel. So, just be patient with me a little bit longer on this. Be clear about the gospel. What's our gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. So the Apostle Paul writes, one of the things that I like about this passage is we're going to see a technical definition of the gospel in this passage from Paul. Here's what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, to the church at Corinth, I want to remind you of the gospel. Not a gospel, the gospel. This is it. This is important. The gospel I preached to you, remember that? Paul says, I came to you in person. And I proclaimed the good news about Jesus. I preached to you what you received. You, by faith, you trusted in Christ, and you were born again. Which you received, on which you have taken your stand. They have this new identity now in Christ. Their sins are forgiven. They're children of God. They're citizens of heaven. They have a new identity. That is their standing before God. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Now, a little distinction here. He's not talking about good works, salvation. He's talking about proof of salvation. He's talking about people who have embraced Christ, and now they're living for Christ. That's how you can tell a real follower of Christ, when they live for Christ. Just because they prayed a prayer doesn't change eternity. It can, but there's to be a lifestyle that, to back it up. And the next, verse 3, he continues, For what I've received I pass on to you as of kind of important. First importance, that Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures. Jesus took our place. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. Christ died for our sins. We call it the substitutionary atonement. I don't deserve it. I didn't deserve my sins to be forgiven. You don't deserve to have your sins forgiven. I didn't deserve it in 1974. I don't deserve it today. I won't deserve it tomorrow. And neither will you. It's grace. Christ died for our sins. According to scriptures, that he was buried. It, it, was, it proved he, he died. His burial was proof of death. And he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And, and, and that was victory. It showed victory over sin. The, the sin penalty had been paid for. It was victory over death. The grave had been beaten. And it was victory over Satan. We see it in other passages in scripture. And Satan and his demonic forces... The victory has been won, and Satan is totally doomed. And yes, he does have some freedom right now that God has allowed. But we know what's coming for him. Uh, here's a synopsis of the good news uh, by Tim Keller in The Reason for God. He says, uh, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared to believe. Sometimes it's good to be reminded that our sin is a really serious issue with God. And you're more loved 
than you ever dared to hope. And a lot of times we struggle with that one, to, to, to let it soak in that God really, really does love us because we often don't feel worthy. We're not, but we are loved anyway. It has nothing to do with whether some of us are better than other people. Um, Desmond Tutu, who was, uh, he, he passed away in 2021, uh, South African Anglican Bishop of South Cape Town, um, was asked, what's your favorite verse? And he said, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he went on to say this. He said, it sums up the gospel wonderfully. We think we have to impress God so that God could love us. But he says, no, you are, all, you are loved already, even at your worst. We sometimes don't feel like God loves us, or he should love us, but he does. So how important is this message of the gospel to the Apostle Paul? Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Here's the background of that passage really quick. Acts 15, um, there was a group in the early church who were, began to teach that the way you are saved is you need to believe in Jesus and you need to be circumcised. That would put a crimp in your style. You need to believe in Jesus and be circumcised. They were adding something to the gospel that wasn't there. And the Apostle Paul wouldn't have anything to do with it. And so he writes a, to the early church in Galatia, and he says uh, that Galatia is a province. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Don't do that, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, if you can imagine that, should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Change the gospel, be under God's curse. I wonder if Harvard and Yale universities knew this verse. Verse 9, next, next slide. As I've already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I probably don't have to tell you that there are a lot of views of how people think we get accepted into heaven. Some people, there is the gospel. You believe in Jesus who died and paid the penalty for your sin and your sins are forgiven and you're accepted into heaven. But there are some who teach that you must believe in Jesus and be baptized. Yet both of them have to happen or can't be in heaven. There are some people who teach you must believe and do good works. You have to do them together. Good works should be demonstrated by our faith, but good works don't get us to heaven. 
or caused God to accept us. Um, the gospel is important. And how we communicate it is important. And sadly, sometimes uh, we Christians are really sloppy on how we communicate the gospel. Now, when I came to faith in 1974, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but there were people who had different ways of talking about it. It was so confusing. Help me understand the simple message, if it's simple. And um, sometimes we add terms that make it hard. So if you add terms, please clarify it for people to understand. I asked you earlier if you remembered when the first time you came into the church building, whether it was Calvary or Lakeview, um, what would you do? How would you greet somebody who came in for the first time, who were searching, who didn't know Christianity as you know it? How would you greet them? How would you talk to them so they would feel welcome and be interested to come back another time? Christians, sometimes we're pretty, pretty obtuse about how to connect with somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. Um, our process. We're, on, we're talking about mission. Our process on mission we call discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 says, so think about the process. This is the person-to-person -person process in Christianity. This is how we pass our faith to the next generation. I'm here today because some people loved me and took the time to answer hard questions. And they didn't spend their time criticizing me or my lifestyle. They loved me. And I came away knowing that they were genuine and that they loved me. And I'm here today because somebody invested hours and hours and hours and hours of answering my questions, instructing me, giving me things to read and direction and opportunities to serve. That's like two or three people all together right there. And here's what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy's a young man, and he says, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, you've heard me preach, you've heard me teach, you've heard me talk, you've heard me answer questions, you've heard me pray. The things you've heard from me, entrust to reliable people. Pass it on. Who will also be qualified to teach others. And so for one thing, that means identifying leaders and teachers for the future of the church. But it's also something that we all can do is to pass our faith to the next generation. Parents. This is parenting. Passing your faith to your kids. Taking the time explaining things, making it simple, answering questions, encouraging them, praying for them, teaching them to pray, teaching them how to handle the Bible, because it's a strange book. It's not like other books. And uh, it's, it's one thing we, we can do. It's a process of discipleship. When we can do this in groups, there's a lot of ways to pass our faith on. But who are you investing in to share what you know so that other people can understand? Uh, 
You know, we live in a world, and I don't have to tell you this, our world is changing really, really fast. It's, it's amazing how fast it's changing. Now, here's the hard thing for the church. The church finds ways to do things, and they find success, and they just stick with it until they die. Now, the world is just streaming past us. And we have one mission, we have one gospel, and our gospel is to penetrate that world. But the world keeps moving, and sometimes the church keeps shooting in, in the dark because the world's over here, and they're trying to do ministry the way they did. And it's all I'm just saying, church, it's so important that you stay sharp, that your leaders stay sharp, that you adapt. How are you going to do ministry in a new world? It's changing all the time. And ministry, methods change. God's word never changes. The gospel never changes. Okay, second reminder. Keep growing in prayer. First one, stay on mission. Keep growing in prayer. According to Barner Research in 2017, 85% of Christians in a typical church do not have much of a prayer life. Is that true here? 85% of you don't have much of a prayer life? I, I hope that's not true. According to this survey, 94% of adults who pray, pray by themselves. Is that all bad? Well, no, it's not all bad, but 94%. That's not much of a community, is it? 94%. It's good to pray alone. You, you need to pray alone. You can pray hours alone, but don't make that only your prayer life. Prayer is to be done in community, in your small groups, in your gospel communities. There's a place where we come together. Sunday morning, there's a place. It's a unique place. It's different than other times during the week. Uh, the mission of the church isn't for lone reign Christians, right? It's not for just one person to go out and make disciples and everybody else sits back. No, it's a group thing. It's the body thing. Uh, you have spiritual gifts. Everybody here has spiritual gifts. Everybody here has different roles to serve. And as a team, together, we make disciples. We need people in the nursery. We need people serving in kids. We need people who work in youth ministry. We need people up doing the tech stuff. We need worship people. We need the whole body to make disciples. I probably left out quite a few people. Um, the Jesus modeled prayer. I don't have to tell you that. The early church modeled prayer, Acts 2.42. Scripture says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. They devoted themselves. This was important. They had devotion to prayer. And this is what made them great, is that they were in the Word, they were in community, they were worshiping, breaking of bread, they were praying together. And Acts 2.42 likely means they were praying in homes, small groups, and that on that uh, occasion. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It was out of a prayer group that they, the people in the group were emboldened and empowered to go proclaim the gospel boldly in a world that wasn't excited to hear about it. The Apostle Paul modeled prayer. I don't have to 
tell you much about that. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is writing, the first three chapters of Ephesians uh, are a lot about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. Since, uh, since we've been saved and our sins are forgiven, these things are true as a child of God. And then in verses 15 through 23, he's just moved to prayer. He's just kind of overwhelmed with the greatness of God and the significance of our salvation. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened and that you would be able to see how great, how marvelous God's love is. Then he keeps going in chapter two and he keeps going in chapter three and he gets to the end of chapter three and he just says, I just bow before heaven. And he's just overwhelmed. And he just models prayer, talks to God. Um, God has instructed us to pray. I don't probably have to tell you that, but uh, I will. And you know that already. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 18, um, you know, this passage is uh, the, at the tail end of spiritual warfare. A lot of people are pretty excited about that. It's really important, and it is. It's essential to understand spiritual warfare. But prayer is a tremendous weapon of spiritual warfare. And, and the Apostle Paul says, and pray in the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Um, prayer is a powerful weapon in doing battle with the forces of darkness. It tears down strongholds. It removes spiritual blindness. It promotes vision for people to see the gospel. It's a very important evangelistic tool because it helps tear, tear the blinders off of people who can't see Jesus. And I was one of those people. And I was really blinded. I'm grateful there's a lot of people praying for me. And eventually I just started to see. It was slow. I'm not a fast learner. And I got it. And it changed everything. Uh, lastly, 1 Peter 4, chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near, Peter writes. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So this is important. It's essential. Staying on mission. Growing in prayer. Keep it up. I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of people here who are strong prayer warriors. Praise God. There are people here who take this seriously. There are people here growing in prayer. God bless you. Continue to grow. All of you. What step could you take that will improve your prayer life. Thirdly, third reminder, be people of the word. You already know this. I know I'm preaching to the choir, even though you're not singing. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Peter writes, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Moms, I know that you know all about babies who are hungry. Babies need nourishment. If they don't get nourishment, babies don't thrive. And they also get cranky. And um, Christians are like that. They also get cranky. But they need nourishment. 
God has designed His Word. It's not just a dusty book. It's not just a nice religious book. It has spiritual power. It is alive. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing even to, to the soul and spirit. And it provides nourishment. It helps us to, to grow as followers of Jesus. Um, it nourishes our souls. It strengthens our faith. It instructs our heart. If there's no spiritual food, there is no spiritual growth. There's a lot of ways to have an intake. Personal time with God, reading His Word. I think it's really wise to have a plan that, that you're taking in God's Word during the week. There's a lot of freedom how to do it. There's no like right way and wrong way. And then to be engaged in groups, small groups are a great way to learn and where other people are learning as well. And then there's this place where God brings us together on Sunday for corporate worship and He equips us through His Word in, in those environments. God's Word equips us uh, for life. It prepares us for struggles, for heartaches. Talking to some of you this morning, you've gone through some serious stuff, serious life pain. It prepares us for spiritual warfare. It prepares us for leadership. It prepares us for wisdom, for truth, for righteousness, for hope, for Christ-likeness, to be more like Jesus. We have a warning in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I have a lot of favorite verses, but Paul writes Timothy, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, Jesus is coming, and he says, I give you this charge, Timothy, preach the word, proclaim the word of God. By the way, I don't think preaching is ever going to go out of style. I mean, people don't like preaching, maybe. They don't like to be preached at. God has designed the, the proclamation of the word through his leaders for the sake of the church. Until Jesus comes back, I don't think it's going to go out of style. No matter how smart we get, no matter how much technology we have, God has a plan for proclamation of the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, because things change. Our environments change. You know, how many things have you lived through in your lifetime that, where our country has been in a crisis? Our world has been in a crisis. Proclaim the word. Preach the word. Correct. Rebuke. Encourage. With great patience and careful instruction. That's always, always going to be important. It's going to be important for your leaders. It's going to be important for your pastors. For the next 75 years, the next 175 years, I hope you're still thriving in 175 years. Some of us will be looking down from heaven. Uh, the last reminder, uh, remember God has the future. I know that you know this already. I'm, I'm really simplistic, 
But remember, God has the future. There's a promise in Matthew 16, 18. This is really an encouragement to me through the years. So here's a, the setting here is that uh, Jesus is with his disciples. He's up in northern Israel, and uh, he's just asked them the question to the disciples, and he said, who do people say that I am? And then they go through a list. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who sometimes has trouble with answers, he gets it. He hits it out of the park. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he identifies Jesus and who he is and why he's here perfectly. And, and Jesus turns to Peter and he says, I tell you that you are Peter. There's some confusion about this verse for some people. Peter, Petros, that's his Greek name. That's masculine. You are Petros, Peter. And on this rock, Peter means rock, but it's not on Peter. The word is Petra here, and that's neutral. It's not masculine. It's not feminine. And Jesus is referring to the the phrase, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that Peter just stated. He said, it's on the Christ. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, I love that because it's a promise from Jesus. He said, I, Jesus, will Build my church. Jesus is going to do it. He promised it. It's in the future. He's doing it right now. He's been doing it. He's going to continue to do it. It's up to us to be there and join him. It's not us, up to us to do it and to call the shots. It's up to us in submission to the Lordship of Christ to let him lead and guide and instruct us and to take us where he wants us to go as a church and as, a, as individuals as well. This is a tremendous encouragement to me. He's going to do it. I don't have to work harder and harder or get smarter and smarter. Yeah, I need to work hard. Yeah, I need to be smart. But Jesus is going to do it through us. I will build my church. Guess what? The church belongs to Jesus. It's not ours, it's his. He purchased it with his own blood. He redeemed us. He bought us with a price. It's his church. He knows what the church needs. And we just need to trust him and to walk with him and ask for his leadership. Okay. Last, last verse is about God's priority God's priority, Matthew 6, 33. Pretty simple. This has been um, my life verse since 1974. And we kind of adapted it into our marriage really quickly. And it really worked out well because uh, we had been married seven years when I came to faith. And uh, I was pretty selfish. I was right nearly all the time. And then when I became a follower of Christ, I had this sense of, I need to be a little bit humble here. And then I, I, when I learned this verse, it just made so much sense. I need to seek God's kingdom. When we make decisions 
I need to seek God's kingdom. And uh, sometimes, if you can imagine this, I would get in an argument with Sue and my wife, and uh, then I realized I'm not seeking God's kingdom here. I'm just trying to advance my own agenda. And being able to submit my personal agenda to Christ's kingdom began to change everything. We solved a lot of arguments with Matthew 6.33. They didn't last very long to seek first. And that's what we need to do with the church. It's his kingdom. It's his church. And we just need to pursue his priorities. It's about his priorities, not my priorities. He's okay with if we have priorities, but he just wants our priorities to come under his priorities in submission. So if there's any kind of a conflict, we submit to his, his priorities first. I know you already know that. Um, so here's what we've talked about. Stay on mission. Keep growing in prayer. Uh, be people of the word. Remember that God has your future. Um, it's about letting him lead you lead his church. It's about him building his church for the next uh, 75 years and beyond. Let's stand together. I'd like to pray for us. God, I just thank you so much for Lakeview Church and for how you've used Lakeview through the years, for their commitment to serve you and to love you, for their commitment to the word of God and to the gospel of Christ. God, we praise you for what you've done here. Thank you for 75 years. And I know in 75 years there's been ups and downs. There's been hard things happen in people's lives. And God, we just uh, continue to entrust the future to you, that you're going to lead, that you're going to build your church. And Lord, may your blessing be on these people, on this church family. Um, May you be with uh, Pastor Andy and the, the leadership team and the overseers in, in their role in, in leading and guiding and serving uh, your people here. May you protect them from the evil one. And God, we just uh, submit Lakeview into your hands and into your care for Jesus' sake and in his strong name. Amen. Romans chapter 15 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for you. God bless you all. We're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.